I suppose in many ways today is a, a forgotten event as far as many are concerned. It's just a bank holiday. And of course it's not often that the bank holiday does uh, coincide with the day of Pentecost. Would have done some years ago, be known as Whitsun Weekend. Um, but there you are. We are remembering today the coming of God the Holy Spirit. Whatever state the church has been at any time in history, it's probably rarely needed to know the power of the Spirit of God and the presence of the Spirit of God more than it does today. I want to leave four things with you this morning. First of all, what was the day of Pentecost about? Uh, We need to remind ourselves, and some may not be familiar with the events of that day. Secondly, what did the Holy Spirit come to do? Let's consider just for a little while some of his works. Um, And it's good to test as to whether you know those works within your own soul. And then we're going to look at Peter's sermon, uh, not in great depth, we'd be here all day, but it was what one might call a most successful sermon. If 3,000 people were converted having preached that sermon, then I'll have a go at that one. (laughs) And then lastly, I want to bring what I've called the question of the day. Why do we so often resist the Holy Spirit? So that's where we're going for this morning. So first of all then, what was the day of Pentecost about? Clearly this is not the beginning of God the Holy Spirit, no more than Christmas was the beginning of the Lord Jesus. Um, God the Holy Spirit is one of the uh, three persons of the Trinity who is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, Was it not he who was there at creation? We read in Genesis 1 that he moved upon the face of the waters. David knew the importance and presence of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, In his repentant prayer in Psalm 51 he says, Cast me not away from thy presence, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit has been active throughout the Old Testament. And so what is different about the day of Pentecost? The difference is that God the Holy Spirit came to dwell within his people. And he came to do certain works within his people. And he came uh, to work among people to bring them to Jesus Christ. So he came in, if you like, a new and different way. Now in some ways the day of Pentecost makes us look back and makes us look forward. Because when we read Acts 2, we find there was a lot of people there. People had gathered together from a number of different nations. They didn't come for the day of Pentecost. They didn't know that God the Holy Spirit was coming in that way on that day. They had gathered together because this was the festival of weeks. And it was one of the three festivals where the Jewish men should all show themselves to the temple in Jerusalem. And so that's why the place was crowded. They came because of the festival of the week of weeks. It was the beginning of wheat harvest. And uh, it was that time when the feast was kept 50 days uh, after the Passover. And of course the Passover was when Christ was crucified. And on this occasion normally two loaves of bread were made from the new wheat... Uh, Lambs were lifted up and waved before the Lord as a thank offering and uh, people also gave a free will offering. So it was a time of giving to the Lord. It was a time of joy and celebration. And now 50 days after 
the great Passover. Remember, Christ had already ascended. He ascended 40 days after uh, his, uh, his death. And now 10 days later, 50 days, the word Pentecost means 50. Uh, but Pentecost not only takes us back to think about the Feast of Weeks, it takes us forward. Because if you notice, when Peter starts speaking, he starts speaking about Joel and he quotes Joel. And we've got the same words as Peter had. You can go back to look at the, uh, the prophecy of Joel. And he quotes there and he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. But we know that not everything that he quotes came on the day of Pentecost. The moon wasn't turned to blood. The sun wasn't turned to darkness. This was, if you like, the beginning of some of those things that were spoken by the prophet Joel. Prophet Joel was not only looking to this day, he looked further on to the coming of the Lord. And so it makes us look back to the celebration of the festival of the weeks, the harvest, but it also takes us forward to the time when Christ comes again. And here we are in the middle, if you like, the coming of God the Holy Spirit in theological terms is really the beginning of the last days. Because quite often in the New Testament it talks about the last days. Well, they weren't the last days. No, they were the beginning of the last days. And we say today we're also living in the last days. And sometimes we say we're living in the last of the last days, just to underline that. We must remember that the main purpose of this day in the coming of God the Holy Spirit is that he should come and abide in his people and do particular works that had not really been done before. And here was the promise of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was on earth, he said in John 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, capital C, that is God the Holy Spirit, that he will abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it received him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So there is the promise of God, I will not leave you comfortless. And then just two chapters on in John 16 verse 7. Tell you a truth, it is expedient, the Lord said, that I go away. And if I go not away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove or convince the world of sin, righteousness of judgment. And so he goes on explaining some of the things that the Holy Spirit would do. And there is a sense, and I think our last hymn picked this up, there is a sense that the coming of God the Holy Spirit is a confirmation. Because Jesus said that this is going to happen. It was confirmation of Christ's resurrection. It's confirmation of the success of Christ's saving work. It, it is a seal on everything that Christ did. It, it's finished now. Now here is the Spirit of God to continue the work of Jesus Christ in bringing the work of Jesus Christ to our dead souls and to make us more like Jesus Christ. On this day then, this particular day, as they were gathered together, it says the Holy Spirit came and they saw little cloven tongues of fire. Or it says like of a fire. Whether it was a flame of fire with heat as we know it or whether it was just something that they saw that looked like that, we don't know. But it appeared as cloven tongues of fire. They spake with other tongues or languages. And the miracle was here that all these people, and they were listed from where they came from, they all heard 
in their own language. So there was a lot of miraculous things going on at this particular time. We're not told of everything that they were saying, but it says in verse 11, they were speaking of the wonderful works of God. I think another has put it, they were speaking of all the things that God had done. And that must have been wonderful. It must have included reference to his work of creation. They would be bringing out more of the Old Testament prophecies, particularly perhaps Isaiah, as well as uh, Peter later on talking about Joel. They would have set out Christ's saving work. And there were a lot of Jews there. They maybe would have accepted some of this because they knew some of the Old Testament scriptures. They were expecting Messiah. Although, of course, many of them had rejected him only 50 days earlier. But there were those here who now began to kind of switch on. The Spirit of God was moving and working in their hearts. They were beginning to realise things they'd not realised before. But I think there's another miracle here. There were a lot of Gentiles here, non-Jewish people, who perhaps knew nothing of the Gospel. Who knew very little, if anything, of Jesus Christ. But as they heard the disciples speak of the wonderful works of God they began to realise and feel in their own souls something of their, their sin and to see something of what Christ has done. And we read that they were converted. An amazing thing. That just hearing the truth of the gospel, but in the power of the Spirit of God, they came to saving faith. And after a, a sermon preached by a fisherman, 3,000 people are converted. So the outcome of that day, there was those things that happened. The actual thing that dropped out of that day, if you like, was preachers, uh, Peter's preaching and the conversion of sinners. So that's much of what happened on that day. But secondly, see something of the works of God the Holy Spirit. If we were to sum up what, what the Holy Spirit was to do, he was to exalt the name, the person and the works of Jesus Christ. In one place it says he would not speak of himself. Uh, and uh, that, that's, he, he doesn't in the scripture. All he tells us about himself is what he says in scripture. He, his task, he said, is to exalt the Lord Jesus and all that he did. Now how can we speak of his works? Well, you can buy great big thick books that will talk about the works of God, the Holy Spirit. Just quickly, let's see how some of the works of God, the Holy Spirit through a person's life. So, for example, we're all born in sin. We know that. Scripture teaches that. We're dead to God. We're unable to lift ourselves up to him. And it's just the first thing is the Holy Spirit comes and begins to reveal things to us. Begins to convict us or to convince us of certain things. And John 16, Lord Jesus told us, what he would particularly convince or convict us of. And he says there in 16 verse 8, When he is come, he will reprove or convince the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. It may come in different ways. If I was to ask all of you, what, what brought you to Jesus Christ? You might say, well, I was convicted because I had, I had a certain fear of the second coming. I wanted to be ready. Others might say, I felt the dread of my sin. Not everyone, if you like, comes the same way, although we must all come through the blood, as one hymn writer puts it. So some are convinced more of their sin, maybe, than of righteousness and of judgment. But those are the main thrust of things that God the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to Christ. 
And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Something there for us to learn. If those are the things that God the Holy Spirit uses, then when we write material, when we speak to people, we need to try and home in on some of those things. What does it mean by convicting people of sin? Well, it's the law of God, isn't it? And we can bring the law of God to people in a very easy way. And and righteousness means that the wonderful righteousness of Jesus Christ. And surely we must speak of him. And judgment, of course, is judgment to come, which we must warn people of. So in, in many ways, what God the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of, to convince us of, is common sense from Scripture. And it is by this convicting and convincing and reminding us of our sin and showing us the perfect righteousness of Christ that is his way of calling us to Christ, calling us to the gospel. And there is ultimately, for those theologians among you, an irresistible call of God the Holy Spirit. We don't always realise that at the time, do we? It's the work of the triune God to do this great work of salvation, but neither person of God, the Trinity, work separately. God the Holy Spirit is convincing us, but the scripture says God the Father calls us, and it's Christ who died for us. No man can come to me, said Jesus, except the Father which have sent me draw him. And so we know by the Spirit of God a convincing of sin, a convincing that we're not right with God, we're not ready for heaven, I'm not saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and the Father is drawing me to himself that I might have a realisation of these things. And then the Spirit, it says, he comes and he regenerates us. He gives us new life. Famous verse, isn't it? John chapter 3. Except a man be born of water, that is natural birth, and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When we're converted, we're born of the Spirit. There is new life. Our dead hearts are brought to life. A, A miraculous thing that only God the Holy Spirit can do. And it's when we're regenerated, when when our eyes are open to see things, then we begin to see, I want to repent. I I can see the truth of the gospel. There is faith. It is the work of God the Holy Spirit to bring the things of Christ to our souls. Jesus said, he will take of mine. In other words, he will take of the things of Christ, his saving work, his person, his love, his mercy, and he will show it unto you. That's the work of God the Holy Spirit. When you begin to see for the first time, not just the works of Christ, but you begin to see he died for me. Not just others, he died for you as an individual. That's a work of God the Holy Spirit. And so we're born again, we're saved, we're converted. And then the work of God the Holy Spirit continues, but it says he abides in his people. Scripture says in Romans, Know you not that ye are the temple of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The more you think about that, the more awesome it is. That God himself, the Spirit of God, the the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, dwells in you. Amazing. And if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, it says, he is none of his. He is none of his. Then, of course, uh, he prompts our holiness. Who is it that creates that thirst within us for the Lord? Who is it that creates in us a thirst for his word, for his house, 
for his love for sinners. There are many things that God the Holy Spirit does. Gives us that desire for holiness, a boldness in the gospel, and a love for sinners and saints. A love for fellowship, when we want to come together. People say, well, I don't need to come to church. But we need to come for fellowship. And that's something the Holy Spirit does. And then his work in our souls will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Those of you who've got gardens, you begin to look at the trees now and you say, oh, there's, there's a, we, we've looked at ours and we say, there's not many plums this year, but there's, there's some green gauges there, there's various things coming. You expect to see fruit. Again, we don't go to a black currant bush and expect to find raspberries. It's a natural thing, isn't it? And so for a Christian, we're born of the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is, Galatians, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That together. Not just one of those. You can't just say, well, I've got some of this and not much of the other. It comes as a whole. That is the fruit of the Christian. And that is a work of God, the Holy Spirit, to produce that within us. In the early church, the Spirit gave help in prophesying and other gifts. These were, many of them, particular to the early church. They didn't have the full canon of Scripture. We must never restrict God the Holy Spirit. There are times when he may still use those things within his people. He will guide us into all truth, the scripture says. Particularly, of course, now that we have the word of God, we're to read it and that's how he guides us into truth. He blesses, he empowers, he gives assurance. Romans 5, it is the love of God shed shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, it says. When you show fellowship to another Christian, when you want to give hospitality, that is the, the Holy Spirit shedding abroad the love of God. It was Spurgeon who described it like the, the gutters of our houses, that when you get a storm, the water comes down, and there are times when it can't quite contain it, and it spills over. And it's God the Holy Spirit who causes us to spill over in, in our love and fellowship with other Christians. Ephesians 1, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. There is the assurance. He gives us that assurance that we are his. Ephesians 5, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If you was drunk with wine, you would not come walking straight in that door. You may not be able to sit up straight. You may want to kind of throw off some inhibitions and and feel in a certain way and do certain things. It will be obvious there's something wrong with you, that you are filled with wine or whatever. And it should be as obvious that we are filled with the Spirit of God as Christians by the way that we behave and the things we do and the fruit that we exhibit. take also the similar situation where people are indwelt by an evil spirit becomes obvious by what they do and what they say and so it should be obvious with us that we're filled with the spirit just one more thing then it also says he is the comforter he's the one who comes alongside us he's the indweller now all of those things I've listed as sermons on their own, we've gone through that very quickly. But that's something of the work of God the Holy Spirit in the unbeliever to bring us to Christ and in the believer to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But thirdly, we have this most successful sermon. There are a few sermons in history that have been used by God to bring many people to himself. Some have been recorded. um, And this is one of the most successful sermons recorded for us here. Um, No magic about it. When we read it, and we read most of it this morning, there's nothing in it that perhaps I, Richard, or anyone else standing in in this pulpit would say. They, They are normal things aren't they in in a sermon I remember reading and I can't think who it was now a man in Scotland he he preached in one town and there were many people converted and he went just a few towns away and he preached the same sermon the next week and no one was converted you see it's not the magic in the words we need God the Holy Spirit to be there and and do that God the Holy Spirit is not going to bless nonsense God the Holy Spirit is not going to come and bless error but we can preach the truth without the Spirit, and it's, it's useless. We need the truth of God. We need the Spirit of God. Having said that, then, Peter preached. What did he preach? What were the, what were the kind of key things? Well, there's a few things that are interesting here. First of all, he puts what he's going to say into context. That's why he quotes Joel, because many of these people would have known the prophecy of Joel. They knew what was happening within their history. And he says, now this is what is actually happening today. And it's good in a sermon to come to people and let them understand the age in which they live. And then he introduces very quickly in verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. He wants to quickly get to the heart of the matter. Holy Spirit is taking him up and he's now present Christ. Because that's what I'm here to do. He talks about the divine counsels of God. Why would he do that? Surely these people don't necessarily need to hear such deep theology. Well, this is God's context. This is what God wants them to know what he's doing. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders, him being delivered by the determinate counsel of foreknowledge of God. He wanted them to know that God is sovereign. And this was not done in a corner, it was not done by accident, it was not done outside of the rest of scripture. This is what God determined, this is what God had promised, this is what God had done, this is what God is doing. And he also said what God is going to do. He preaches Christ's death and resurrection in verse 23 and 24. It's an essential ingredient of the gospel, isn't it? Because that's what Christ came to do, his death and resurrection is on which we depend It's that to which we we call and come by faith and claim. Verse 36, he talks about Christ's exaltation. Christ is no longer uh, that uh, one who came upon the cross and had a crown of thorns put upon his head and had nails put in his hands and feet. He is now exalted. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he actually brings some application. What did he say? He said to the people, having preached that word, he says, now repent, repent. And be baptised. And he said a lot more than this. Because it says in verse 40. We didn't read all this. But it says. And with many other words. Did he testify and exhort. Saying save yourselves. From this untoward generation. Those are the things that God the Holy Spirit. Was pleased to use. On the day of Pentecost. But fourthly. How is it that we so often resist God the Holy Spirit? You see, that's an odd thing to suggest. Why would we ever do that? 
the overarching purpose of all his works is to exalt Christ. Why, why would I want to resist that? Seeing God only wants our good, again, why would we resist his movings in our lives to bring us only good? And the answer is, because of com- before conversion, if you're listening online or you're here this morning and you say, I've not actually come to faith, I, I don't know that new birth yet, then one reason why you resist is because of the old nature. We all did that at one time. Our old nature, which is dead to the things of God, wants to stay dead to the things of God. And we resist the Holy Spirit when he begins to say, actually, you don't do this right. You don't keep the law of God. You have broken his law. You do need my salvation. It it, it is because of people like you that I came to die upon the cross. And we say, no, I'm all right. I do good works. I, I help people. I would always kind of give the right change or whatever. I'm I'm as honest as the people next door. My friends, our honesty is as filthy rags, says the scripture. We need Christ. And we resist that so often. And those of you here that are Christians, you may remember before you were, there were times of resistance. Although God offers forgiveness and eternal life and all things beside, because of our nature... We actually prefer death and hell. One little line of a hymn says, I spurned his grace, I broke his law, and yet he undertook my cause. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We broke the law of God, we offend God, and yet Christ came into the world to save sinners. And that's one of the things the Spirit of God wants to show you this morning. And what about believers? How do we resist the Holy Spirit? My friends, he's always moulding us and to try and get us more conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always desiring to bring out more holiness in our lives, that we might cut the ties to this world more and its worldly activities, and that we might be content with sometimes the afflictions and problems that the Lord allows to come our way. And that's difficult, isn't it? Say, Lord, I've got this thorn in the flesh, I've got this problem, I've got this issue. And the Lord is saying, I know that, but my grace is sufficient for you. And one of the works of the Spirit of God is to get us to be able to say, Lord, I accept that. I'm going to pray about it, Lord, because I don't really want it, but if this is what you want for me, then I will accept it. And one reason that we may have these issues and afflictions is because so often, as we bring them to the Lord, that's sometimes the sweetest times of fellowship. When we have issues like that. And sometimes we resist that. Sure, I have at times. Lord, I don't really want to feel like that. Lord, I don't like that particular situation. And that's resisting the Holy Spirit. When we sin, and we will as Christians from time to time, that's resisting God the Holy Spirit. When we withhold our time, our gifts, our resources, our hospitality, whatever it is that we're able to give to the Lord in some way. Don't feel like doing that today. That's resisting God the Holy Spirit. 
Nearly lost a page of my notes there. I did that the other week when I was preaching somewhere else. No one noticed. <laughs> I'm sure I should have learned from that. <laughs> so what have we seen so far then this morning? First of all, what the day is about. Here is the coming of God, the Holy Spirit, the promise of God. We looked at what happened on that day. We've looked at some of the works of God, the Holy Spirit, in the unbeliever and also in the Christian. Convicting, regenerating, empowering, sanctifying, comforting. We've seen the impact of his coming on that day, that marvellous sermon of pieces and all it produced in the saving of 3,000 people. And we've had a little look at how we can often resist the Spirit of God. Now a little bit of application. If Peter can make application, then so can I. First of all, let's be thankful For God the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. In his encouraging, in his comforting. In his always bringing the things of Jesus before us. It would be a wonderful thing. I think I was reading some of Samuel Rutherford. uh, And he said, a wonderful thing if we could see a fresh beauty in Christ every day. There is a fresh beauty in Christ that we can see every day. But we often fail to see that. But when we do, that's, that's God the Holy Spirit coming and bringing Christ before us. And he's there when we're in difficulty and when we're in trial and when we're feeling despondent. The Spirit of God is there to lift us up, to encourage us. Think of his great work in the areas of persecution. His work in Ukraine today, his work in Moldova and in all the other places that are upon our hearts. So be thankful. And then if you're a believer, are we giving him more or do we resist him? Do we use the resource of his word as we should? Do we come to his word with an expectation of hearing his voice? Do we come this morning and come this evening with, I'm going to hear the voice of God. What's God going to say to me this morning or this evening? Do people see Christ in us? Are we really a praying people? People looking for his work in our lives? Are we content with all that God gives us? even our reflections. We can and we should be. And my friends, if you're not Christ's, are you still resisting his will? It is he that convicts and converts. Is he pointing out your need of Christ today? Is he showing you your sin and yet the loveliness of Christ? When Nicodemus was talking with Jesus, and Nicodemus was a good man, he wanted to know the truth about things, and he came secretly to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? I'll put it in my own words for a moment. Nicodemus, you're a good man, but you need to be born again. And sometimes we can be good people, but we still need to be born again. And you could be the most wretched sinner, you still need to be born again. And that's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. May he point you to Jesus this morning.